Hi everyone. Before I start the episode proper, I want to pay tribute to the great Italian tenor Giuseppe Giacomini, who died this past week. That was him singing Che la mi creda from La Fanciulla del West from approximately 1994. He made his debut in 1966 and sang well into his 70s. Giacomini was not a glamorous singer, but he was a powerful singer, certainly one of the great Otellos after Mario del Monaco. There are very few of them out there. Vladimir Atlantov was another one. I was lucky to hear Giuseppe Giacomini once when I heard Leontine Price singing Forza at Ravinia outside of Chicago. He sang Alvaro and he was exceptional. He had exactly the right vocal weight and technical command for that taxing role. In 1971, he was paired opposite Magda Olivero in a performance of Fedora. From that performance, here is Amor Tivieta, introduced by Olivero herself, with a few lines from her character Fedora. Love forbids you not to love.
The rumor mill has it that Giuseppe Giacomini was yet another soul to succumb to COVID-19. Please, people, stay safe and spare a thought to the memory of the great Giuseppe Giacomini. And now, on to episode 100 of Counter Melody. Dear listeners, and welcome to Counter Melody. It is I, your host, Daniel Guntlach. And as always, I'm committed to bringing you the voices of beloved singers, often focusing on unexpected facets of their artistry. You will also be hearing less celebrated but equally treasurable artists who deserve our attention and respect. I'm honored to have you join me on this ongoing mutual journey of discovery. And now, without any further ado, let's get down to today's business. Great singers and great singing. Thanks to you beautiful people, I've made it to episode 100 of Counter Melody. I can scarcely believe it, and I am so grateful to every one of you who has tuned in and supported me, both by including me in your listening life, and for many of you, for supporting me via Patreon. Every single episode of Counter Melody has begun with the voice of the great Italian soprano Claudia Muzio, born in the year 1889, died in 1936 at the age of only 46. Her beautiful presence also graces the logo for the podcast. So I figured, with episode 100 looming before me, Who else could I feature but this artist who has been an inspiration and who has enriched my life? Not just my listening, not just my musical experiences, but my entire life by her example and by her artistry. Today we will be examining her in greater depth. Episode 1 of Counter Melody was sort of devoted to Claudia Muzio. In preparing for today's episode, I actually went back and listened cringingly to episode 1. I've heard other podcasters talk about how embarrassing it is to listen to their early efforts at podcasting. Well, What can I say? I was trying to prove something. I just felt like I had to put my credentials out there. And the whole thing sounds like a great big frickin' music lecture. And it was a really interesting one at that, I must confess. But that's not the way the podcast has evolved, thank goodness. I think of it more as a guided listening tour every week through some of the greatest singers that have ever graced our lives with their song.
Claudia Muzio's recordings fall into three distinct categories with a little bit of a pre-echo in 1911 when she made two test pressings for HMV. By far her most famous recordings are the ones that were made at the very end of her life when she was already ailing and not far from death. They are her legacy and testament. This is one of my very favorites, an excerpt from the sacred oratorio Cecilia, a work that was written expressly for her by the priest-slash-composer Licinio Refice. This is the Annunciation of Cecilia's birth, Per Amor di Gesù, as intoned by a heavenly voice. And a heavenly voice indeed it is.
I have a theory that every single lover of singing has a particular voice that has a way of implanting itself on your soul. Not in an aggressive way, but in a way that you hear the timbre and your heart just opens itself to that sound. And when in addition to that plangency of sound, the singer has an extra special something, a way of communicating drama, of communicating text, then that becomes the singer who represents your soul. And for me, that singer is Claudia Muzio. And when that singer has become established as your singer, you're willing to overlook quite a bit that maybe a different listener simply could not do. During this episode, you will actually hear something that to me is technical anathema. And I'll just address it right now and then we'll leave it be. Claudia Muzio's U-Vowel is really peculiar. Normally, this is not something that I can overlook or countenance. Someone's got a weird oo if they don't sing oo, if they sing e, or if they sing e, or whatever. That singer is usually crossed off my list. But there's something about Muzio. I don't know what it is. But let's examine what that special something could possibly be. Claudia Muzio's father was a stage manager at the Met and other houses. And so Claudia grew up in the opera house, listening to all the great singers. And when she returned to the Met as a debuting artist in 1916, she was embraced by so many of the artists there and the stage workers as one of their very own who had come home again. She was never a bravura singer. It just wasn't her thing. She was very technically adept, but she was never that kind of virtuoso singer as one would hear from any number of great singers. Fill in the blank. Nevertheless, I do have an example of her from her first set of recordings that were made in the years 1917 and 1918 for the Pate Company. As I mentioned, Claudia had made her debut at the Met in 1916, and this series of recordings was very much designed to appeal to those who were her fans and who attended her performances. Let's just start with a recording that she made of the Bolero from Vespri Siciliani, just so that you can hear how she was definitely technically astute and adept, but she used her technique always as a means to an end. That means that some of the bravura passages that Muzio sings are less than scintillating. This is the best example that I could find of pure bravura singing from Muzio. <laughs> Thank you. 
weirdnesses. While we're on the subject, there's no trill. We're not going to eliminate someone just because they don't have a trill. You'd end up eliminating almost every tenor that ever lived. You'd end up eliminating Iliana Kotrubash. You'd end up eliminating Renata Scotto. You'd end up eliminating Montserrat Caballé. Anyway, that's okay. She also has this weird way of darkening some of her vowels and distorting them. Blah, blah, blah. You know what? I don't care. I will grant her her technical peculiarities because of the way she gets right through to my heart. Muzio sang a lot of Verdi and a lot of Puccini and just generally a lot of Italian repertoire at the Met. She created a number of significant parts, either in their world premiere or in their Met premiere. Surely the most important of these was the role of Giorgetta in Puccini's Il Tabarro, which was the first part of his triptych Il Trittico. So would you think that Pate would have recorded the big scene? Of course not! They instead recorded her singing Senza Mamma from Suor Angelica, the second of the triptych, and O Mio Babbino Caro from Gianni Schicchi, the third of Il Trittico. I think that her recording of O Mio Babbino is simply all wrong. It's way too slow. I'm kind of a stickler for following Puccini's markings, and she definitely doesn't do that there. Her Senza Mamma, I always used to be fairly dismissive of it, but I listened to it again, and actually she's got a lot going on here. It's not at all what she developed into, but you still hear that she has a wonderful sense of how to make a phrase come to life. That's the kind of thing that simply cannot be taught. Or maybe it can be taught if your father is a stage manager at the Met and you are absorbing all of those sounds and all of that great singing as a very young child growing up in the house. Anyway, here's Senza Mamma. Thank you. 
1920, Claudia Multio sang in the U.S. stage premiere of Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin, opposite Giuseppe De Luca in the title role. The opera was performed in Italian. At the same time that she sang that premiere, she recorded a portion of Tatiana's latter scene. And here is an excerpt from that shortened version. In Italian, it's called Se Forse L'Angelo Fedele. following year, Claudia Muzio sang the role of Maddalena di Quagny in the Met premiere of Andrea Chenier. She had an enormous success in the role, as did Beniamino Gigli in the title part. But the critics were often very stingy in their praise of Muzio, and one wonders what it was that they were expecting, to what standard they were holding her. For instance, this unsigned review from the New York Herald. Naturally, the fiercest lights beat about the heads of Miss Claudia Muzio as Madeleine and Beniamino Gigli as the poet. Both are fortunate in their new duties. Miss Muzio's art is one of narrow limitations, and too often she is compelled to attempt things unfavorable to her methods. But in Andrea Chenier, she has a thoroughly congenial role. 
The music is precisely the kind she can sing best, while the character is easily delineated by the conventional artifices of the opera actor's routine. Miss Muzio was pleasing to the eye as well as to the ear, and her impersonation undoubtedly enlisted the sympathies of the audience. I'm sorry, I just find that, first of all, the body shaming and the misogyny that one reads in some of these reviews of that period is really kind of mind-boggling. But let's not get into all of that here. I want to share with you Muzio's second recording of La Mamma Morta. She did record it in 1920 at the time of the Met premiere. But 15 years later, as she was already, as I mentioned, ailing and not at all far from her own death, she took on that series of recordings that constitute her matchless legacy. I'm also a fan of the Edison Diamond discs that she made between the years 1920 and 1925, and we're going to hear a number of those as well. But for this recording of La Mamma Morta, I specifically want you to listen for a number of things. First of all, her artistry has deepened to the point where there's nothing in specific about her portrayal here. Everything is so vividly characterized. You will also notice that, evidently from what I have been able to surmise, she was really suffering from some respiratory issues, and she breathes so frequently in these late recordings. And yet, it's astounding the way that she manages to keep the line moving, no matter how many times she breathes. And that's definitely the case here. Some of the top notes are sometimes a little under the pitch, but I will say this for Muzio. Never, never, never do you hear a wobble. Here is La Mamma Morta, recorded in 1935.
Another role in which Claudia Muzio sang in the Met stage premiere was the title role in Alfredo Catalani's Lorelei. Lorelei does not get the hit tune in that opera called Amor Celeste Brezza, which we heard Magda Olivero sing so memorably on the episode I devoted to her a few months back. Muzio instead sings the much more dramatic Shena called Dove Son. The story is a complicated retelling of the Lorelei legend. This scene takes place at the end of the first act, in which Lorelei, a mortal girl, is possessed by the spirit of a dead girl and throws herself from a cliff as the first act curtain falls. This is Muzio at her most imperious and commanding, and the technical aplomb that she displays here is really hair-raising. Yeah. <laughs> 
Lorelei was one of the last parts that Muzio sang at the Met before taking a leave of absence for more than 10 years. She was also very celebrated at the Teatro Colón in Buenos Aires, and returning from her season there, she found that she had been supplanted by the beguiling, glamorous, yet vocally questionable diva Maria Yeritza. In anger, she left the Met and assumed position of one of the three main divas at the Opera House in Chicago, where her two fellow divas were Rosa Raisa and the eccentric Scottish diva Mary Garden, who was Debussy's first Melisande and who also ran the company. I do want to take a moment to listen to another Catalani aria, the perennial favorite, Eben Neandrolontana. Muzio recorded this for the Edison Company in 1920, two years before the Lorelei aria we heard. This is another performance that I used to be fairly dismissive of, but when she moves into that central C major section, the heartbreak of the text becomes more pronounced. You hear a shift in her performance and it really catches fire. Ready? 
Now, I mentioned the three different periods in which Muzio recorded. The 1917-1918 sessions for Pate, the Edison Diamond Disc recordings done between 1920 and 1922 with a few stragglers in 1923 and 24. And finally, of course, the final series that she recorded in 1934 and primarily 1935. One of the great Italian chainists for Spinto Soprano is the Mad Scene of Margherita from Boito's Mephistofele. In it, the imprisoned Margherita, a.k.a. Marguerite, a.k.a. Gretchen, describes having unknowingly drowned her own child and poisoned her own mother. She describes how her soul longs to flee its prison cell and fly free Muzio recorded this aria three different times, and I'm going to play you all three recordings of those so you can compare and see just how she developed. From the 1917 recording, I'm going to play you just the first verse. Already you hear that there is a singer very alert to the drama and technically very secure. From the 1922 Edison Diamond Disc, I'm going to play you the second verse through the end of the aria, and you will hear already how much Muzio has developed, how much more intense her portrayal is, and even more technically secure than it had been less than five years earlier.
final version of L'Altra Notte that Muzio recorded was in 1935. And here, though she is technically somewhat less secure and some of the high notes don't quite hit the mark, we are suddenly in the profoundest kind of tragedy. Of course there's an artifice about this, the same kind of artifice that one would encounter among the great stage actresses, but the way that it is transmogrified into something that cuts right through you and is almost unbearable. It is certainly unique in the history of this aria, and perhaps also in phonographic history.
because there's so much Muzio material and because I love her so much. And even though I want to present all of these arias to you right now, today, in this episode, I feel compelled to produce a bonus episode as well, which features Muzio singing Handel. Muzio's two earliest recordings from 1911, an excerpt from Muzio's Butterfly, some gorgeous parlor songs, Muzio singing some unusual arias from the so-called Verismo repertoire, also from Otello, one of the two duets she recorded with the dramatic tenor Francesco Merli, and concluding with the death scene from Licinio Refiges Cecilia. This is available to all of my supporters on Patreon. I picked up a few new people this week. I certainly hope that you will head over there and listen to that. And by the way, if you also want to become a Patreon supporter, simply go to patreon.com slash countermelody. You can pledge any amount from $2 on up, and you will gain access to all of the bonus episodes that I have thus far posted. This Muzio episode will be bonus episode number 22. So please consider supporting me on Patreon. Pretty please. And now let's go back to the main episode. I mentioned that Muzio had sung Verdi over the course of her entire career, and we did hear her singing the Vespri aria. That was not, I don't think, a role that she actually sang on stage. But she did sing Leonora in Forza del Destino, and in 1935 she recorded A Pace Pace That Will Break Your Heart. One of the things that I really love about this performance is the dynamic shading that she achieves on the iterations of Pace Pace, so that the first statement of Pace is a cry of anguish wrung from the soul of Leonora, and the repeated pace that follows is either an echo or perhaps simply turned more deeply inward. Again, a unique approach to this aria.
The other Leonora, the Trovatore Leonora, was another role that figured very prominently over the course of Muzio's career. Here's a beautiful recording from 1920, an Edison Diamond Disc of the fourth act aria that's one of my most beloved soprano arias of all time, D'Amore sull'Ali Rosé. It's interesting to hear how graciously Muzio phrases this, considering that she did not have the all-important trill for this aria.
My Holy Grail vis-a-vis Claudia Muzio is an alleged live recording of La Forza del Destino from the Teatro Colón in Buenos Aires. It may not be a pipe dream, because other live recordings from the Teatro Colón in the 1930s have resurfaced and in excellent sound. A guy can dream, can't he? The only extant live Muzio recording that we have is an intensely frustrating recording of Act One of Tosca that was recorded at the opening of the San Francisco Opera House in 1932. It's been cleaned up by experts, and yet it is still virtually unlistenable. And why isn't it of Act Two, for goodness sake? It's so unlistenable that I can't even present it to you today. So that gives you some idea of just how cloudy and crackly that recording is. But enough of that, or I'm just going to start crying. Let's turn instead to some of Claudia Muzio's delightful recordings of lighter music. One of her most charming renditions is of Victor Herbert's A Kiss in the Dark from his operetta Orange Blossoms, which she sings in this 1924 recording. great personal love for these vocal versions of Chopin piano music. Here's Muzio singing a song adapted from Chopin called Aspiration, and I think you will recognize the tune. Oh. 
be safe to say that Muzio's most famous recording is that of Violetta's last act letter scene from La Traviata. In early 1934, Claudia Muzio and Giulio Gatti Casazza, who ran the Met, resolved their differences and she returned for only three further performances there. Two of Violetta her only appearances in that role at the Met, and one of Santuzza. Those final Met performances, the Violettas in particular, were legendary and among the greatest moments in performance at the Metropolitan Opera. In Muzio's recording of the aria from the following year, you get a sense of what her Violetta was all about. A pall of doom hangs over Violetta's reading of Germont's letter in Muzio's portrayal. There is nothing naturalistic about this reading. It is intensely heightened theatricality, such as one would encounter in a performance, say, by Eleonora Duse, to whom Muzio was often compared. In fact, she was called La Duse del Canto, the Duse of Song. She has difficulty with the aria, but it's a damn hard aria to sing, as any good Violetta will tell you. But once again, there is a unique intensity, and although I don't want to carry the point too far, an identification with the heroine that leaps at one across the grooves. La disfida ebbe luogo, 
il barone fu ferito, però migliora. Al freddo e instranio suolo, il vostro sacrificio, io stesso li ho svelato, e gli a voi tornerà quel suo perdono, io pur verrò, curatevi, mercate un avvenir migliore, Giorgio Germain, Oh, come son mutato, ma il 
one of my favorite songs of all time, and one of my favorite Muzio recordings of all time, is O del mio amato bene by the composer Stefano Donaudi. These songs were published in three different volumes as songs in the stile antico, intended to evoke Baroque musical forms. I don't know if that's what Donaudi achieved or not, but he certainly was a gifted melodist, and when a singer with Muzio's depth takes on a text like this, the results are memorable. The one I loved is now far from me. Now I wander through empty rooms, seeking her and calling her. But alas, I seek and call in vain. But the weeping is so dear to me, because tears are the only thing that nourish my heart. It seems to me that without her, sadness is everywhere. Day seems like night, and fire is like ice. If I perhaps hoped that I might find relief from my pain in the arms of another, the thought torments me of the one who is no longer with me. Without her, whatever will I do? Life to me is now an empty, useless thing without my beloved. In the original text to this song, the beloved is always referred to as she, and I don't think it's insignificant that Muzio does not change the gender, as do so many other female singers who take on this song. As I noted way back in episode one, Claudia Muzio was known for affectional attachments to both men and women, including quite possibly a deep romantic relationship with the dramatic soprano Eva Turner. Once again, there are two extant recordings of this song by Claudia Muzio. The first is an unpublished Edison Diamond disc from 1922. From that, I will play you the first verse. with the later recording that she made in 1935. 
I'll include a portion of the end of the first verse moving into the end of the song. Once again, we enter a world of quietly shattering heartbreak. Friends, thank you for allowing me to be with you for a hundred episodes. I certainly hope that it goes on and on and that you will stick with me. My audience will grow. I'll be able to maybe even make a living doing this. That's my fervent wish. It was a particular joy for me to present more fully the accomplishment of the great Claudia Muzio, that voice that resonates so deeply in my soul and I hope also perhaps in yours. Muzio and Magda Olivero were only 21 years apart in age. I was thinking how, if Muzio had lived as long as Olivero did, she could have still been alive in the 1990s. During her lifetime, Claudia Muzio experienced the kind of rapturous, ecstatic, response from her fans and admirers that 
is today seen certainly not among opera singers. I don't want to leave her in despair. I want to give her a little bit of joy to round off the episode. This is the tender and gentle song, C'est mon ami, probably spuriously attributed to Marie Antoinette. In this song, the lovers are also separated, but the search is ongoing, and the faith that they will be reunited propels the singer forward in that search for the one who has her love and in whom she has complete and utter faith. Friends, always remember to keep the song in your hearts. Much love to you all. I'm Daniel Kuntlach. <laughs>